morning. Just going to get my computer set up. It's good to be here with you this morning. My name is Nancy Reimer, if you don't know me, and I've had the privilege of being the middle years and high school teacher and the principal of Lakeside Christian School for the last 12 years. LCS is located on the northeast corner of Killarney. We offer K-12, and this year we have 56 students, projections of 80 in two years. Uh, in, in fact, next year in kindergarten, we'll have 13 students that we know of and two graduating, one being Luke. So it's pretty exciting times for, for us at the school. Um, I'm going to spend some time showing uh, you some pictures of some of the things that we've been involved with at school and some of the things I've had the privilege of also being um, having my hands in, and, um, and then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk to you about the beginning of the book of John, John 1, verse 1 to 5. So, we're going to see how this works today, and uh, please bear with us as we um, work with our technology this morning. So, Guatemala. In 2012... We brought our second mission team into Guatemala through ACSI, which is Christian Association of Christian Schools International. We were the team that got to dig the foundation of the building, which I thought was going to actually be a small one-room project. And when we got there, it was a much bigger project than what I had anticipated, and I think my team as well. So if you can see, here are the chalk lines. The chalk lines along there. And those were our guidelines as to what we needed to dig for the week. As we dug, a few things were found, and Corey found a nice little, I think it was a cobra, a little cobra snake. Yeah, that was really fun. And, um, and an aquifer actually was found on the corner of the building right behind the kitchen project and beside the garden. So only God could plan that. Because of the softer ground that was in the water, because of the water, they were only build, able to build two stories high instead of three. And this past year, they, the water supply was tested, and they found that there was enough there to supply not only their own water, but also the water for the village, which is a huge blessing because water is in very high demand in, the, in these mountainous villages. Um, in fact, in San Bartolo, there is one washing machine in the whole village, and the hotel we stay at does not have running water, except for the little girl that carries it up and down the stairs for us. In 2013, our third LCS team returned, and we continued on the project. And this past March, it was an awesome sight to see there. When we rounded the hill, and this beautiful building was almost ready to be occupied. This will be used as a Christian school during the mornings and evenings. It will house the Compassion Program for the area in the afternoons. It will be the only K-12 school in the area of over 60 miles which means that the literacy rates will improve tremendously in this poor area. Church services will be held on Sundays all day, 
plus a number of evenings. So it is going to be a multi-purpose building. But with the high number of children needing compassion programs due to the huge poverty issues in the area, the church realized that they actually need to build another two-story section for their children. So because they were going to build a third, a third um, story but they couldn't, they realized that if they're going to build more space, they might as well make it bigger. So this last March, LCS team number four spent time digging and pouring the pillars for this new section. And this July, they were able to move into the first building and house more than 200 children in the Compassion Center in the afternoons. And this new area is a project still in progress. So one of the blessings of going to San Bartolo is that um, there are two families in Killarney that support sponsor children, support children through Compassion, and we were both able to visit them in, in their homes this last year. I was thrilled to be invited to our sponsor child Aaron's home, and he came to, to check up on me quite a few times during the week, which was really great to be able to not only see him in his home, but to see him in his, in his daily life. Um, I came home with uh, quite a, a headpiece, and uh, it, was an, it was a really great experience. The other family just happened to meet their sponsored child and family when we went to their church one evening, and the, the family just happened to be the pastors of the church that we were going to be uh, working in that night. So it's been a, a really amazing experience being part of, of this mission project through the school. Then, this last year, um, two of my sisters-in-law were diagnosed with cancer. I wasn't going to cry this morning. I had no reason to, <laughs> but maybe I do. Um, just after this, an opportunity to teach administrators and teachers in Africa was open to me again. And this time I jumped at the chance to go, realizing that life it can be shorter than what you plan. So the, back, the background of my wanting to participate at LC, uh, is that as a school, as LCS, we usually um, participate in the Classrooms for Africa projects. And a lot of you that have had kids at the school remember Penny a Page. Or maybe some of the kids remember Penny a Page. And the Classroom for Africa is a charity organization stemming from ACSI Western Canada and includes a quarter of a million students that attend ACSI Christian schools in just Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC. So in order to benefit children in both Africa and also make it tangible for our students, we came up with a Penny a Page project. And how it works is for every age-appropriate page read in the month of February, the students find sponsors to donate a penny when we had pennies. Um, at the end of the month, we're able to send a few hundred dollars to help build Christian schools in the poorest areas of countries like Uganda and South Africa. So, when we arrived, we were able to, to train teachers, plus we did, we did much one-on-one -on -one counseling and small group professional development training with, with, uh, with teachers and administrators. Um, as a team, we quickly realized that the heart of man is the same on every continent and in every school of the world. Students have exactly the same questions and difficulties, and teachers do too. And we also realize that God is at work in every person. These Christian schools that, um, that we are helping to build are a real change in education in Africa, so a typical public school classroom of one teacher 
would accommodate 100 students on average. And these ACSI classrooms are built to hold 25 to 30 students at the most. So we dedicated this building that you see uh, to God's work. This is a two-classroom project that was built with some of the funds that came from LCS. And the bricks that, may, that were used were actually made from the soil surrounding this building. So they definitely used their resources well. Many of these children are the poorest of the area. Most are orphaned by one or both parents. They may have HIV or they are in very difficult situations, having to go to work by, time, by age of six and those kinds of things. There was one white family in this school, so they had to go and round him up because they wanted to make sure he was in the pictures. So that was that was pretty pretty interesting concept for us. Each classroom for Africa Project is unique to the needs and availability of materials for each school. So this is a classroom in Cape Town made from a train box car, and it's also um, a classroom for Africa Project. So by the time we left South Africa, I realized that in some ways I would feel comfortable working in any of these Christian schools, from Johannesburg down to to Cape Town. And I was also thankful that God placed me at at LCS. I don't have to fly anywhere to go on my missions field, although I can't hang out with cheetahs um, on a regular basis here in Killarney. (laughs) So our third thing that's been happening in our Lakeside Christian School world is our expansion. We checked numbers and space availability a couple of years ago uh, before the projections are as they are today. And we realized that we either had to turn away students and families or we needed to have more room. So we decided to build. The plans we chose were the very least that we needed, which were two classrooms, a new entranceway and office area that is secure, plus a multi-purpose room for things like assembly, chapels, um, cold weather, things like that. that. And this multi-purpose room can be split into two or more classrooms in the future. Our fundraising efforts only began last Thanksgiving, and we, um, as of last week, we are over just over $460,000 uh, out of our 800000 that we need. And that is an amazing amount of support from this community and our school families and extended families. And we know that God is good. We began digging at the end of November because usually projects this size will take year, like three years to develop from when it's, you start the actual blueprints to when it's finalized. And we did it in just over a year. So we were able. So we had to. We were just praying really hard that, that the weather would hold out. And the last day of pouring cement was on. The, was in the beginning of December on that day that was plus ten, and we had contractors ask us um, what kind of influence we had over the weather, seeing that we were a Christian school. <laughs> but a few awesome things have happened um, besides the building. Um, Things like the play structure that we just put in a few years ago is in a great spot. We don't have to move it. And for me, um, the evergreen trees that were planted in 1990 when this, the, the first part was, was built do not have to be dug up. 
and they just happen to be in the corner of the building where my office is. So I will feel right at home with beautiful evergreens just outside my window, just like at the farm. We are hoping to have the addition open this spring, seeing that I'm teaching out of the library and at the wide dead-end hallway that will be going into the new addition. It'll be great to have some space. And as soon as the dedication service um, is set, I will let you know, and you are all more than welcome. And I would ask that you do come and, and take a look how God is good here in our, in our community. So I want to thank you for your support to the school. Um, it is not only through finances, but it is through those words of encouragement. It's through the prayers that we know are, are coming our way. It's through sending your children to the school and supporting them as children and as and your grandchildren. And we just really, we really can feel God's presence there. Um, a lot of things have changed over the last couple of years. And um, our board and staff, we take our roles seriously and we are thankful to be used of God in our community. Um, we've had to add on more staffing because we need it. And even just the unity among our staff is absolutely amazing. We were very concerned about that because when you go from having four staff members to having four or five staff members to having 11, things can change tremendously. And we were, we've been able to maintain that unity and the, the peace of God is there. So I just want to say thank you for, for all that support that you've given to us. So we're going to um, look at John 1, verse 1 to 5. And this is a portion that we are memorizing and looking at at school this year. And so it has really been speaking to me since, since we've um, started. And I'm just going to just bow our heads and we're going to pray before I continue. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your goodness when times are tough and when, when times are good. We thank you for your goodness in the wintertime and in springtime when we can see that there is hope and new hope of the things that are happening around us. And dear God, I just pray that the words that, that I speak this morning will be of yours and that, um, that you will, you, your word will come out in boldness this morning. A man and his 10-year-old son were on a fishing trip miles from home. At the boy's insistence, they, attend, they decided to attend the Sunday worship service at the small rural church. But, of course, being on a fishing trip, the father forgot to bring any cash. So when the plate came around, he reached into his pocket deep and gave his son a dime and dropped it into the offering plate as it was passed. Well, after the service, as they walked back to their car, the father complained... The service was way too long. The sermon was boring, and the singing was really off-key. The boy thought and thought and finally said to his dad, You know, Dad, I thought it was actually pretty good for a dime. <laughs> well, I apologize if my, if my sermon is boring or if I was singing off-key this morning. So we're going to just look at the scripture here. At school... We're memorizing, as a, as a whole school, the book of John. And one of our classroom teachers gives the weekly verse to a student for them to illustrate. I love what this student chose for this verse in particular. 
Of course, there are rays of light surrounding the word shines, and the closed letters in the word darkness are blacked out. But over the word extinguish, I thought would be drawn like a fire extinguisher or maybe a pile of ashes and rubble. But instead, the child chose to draw a flame continuing, the light continuing. And I thought that was a great choice for an illustration. Week by week, we are continuing to memorize these verses. During my grade three to five Bible class, we started talking about and learning the meanings of these words, because it's kind of confusing. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And seeing I love loved grammar, the kids had to deal with it. <laughs> what was the purpose of John writing this letter 2,000 years ago? It was a persuasive essay for the proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. It was written as a clear, precise document showing individuals how to find eternal life. John was writing to a community of Jewish people who would have memorized portions of the Torah as part of their educational and cultural experience. The Torah is the first books of the Bible as we know it today. So we notice that John begins his writing the same way as Genesis 1.1 begins with, in the beginning. So they would have recognized that as part of their, their education. Genesis tells of the beginning until the end of creation, but John tells of the beginning to eternity. And John uses the word logos, or translated into English, the word. Oftentimes, logos means divine will or the mind of God or the character of God in conjunction with wisdom and understanding. Barnes notes on the Bible, along with other commentaries, say the word logos in this verse was meant as instructor or teacher of mankind. So in this instance, John is using logos as a direct address to the person of Jesus Christ. We read on to see that the word of Jesus was with God in the beginning. And this is a key point to the character of God and Jesus. Neither one had a beginning. And this can kind of be a, a, a difficult truth to comprehend. How can something have no beginning? And then how could it have no end? And when my students ask this, and they do, I always give them an example of the number line. They know that numbers go on forever in positive and negative sides of a number line. And when they get into high school, they realize that the number line not only goes horizontal, but vertical as well. And this is a great teachable moment when students can begin to grasp the infinity of God with a concept they're familiar with. Verse 3 states that God, through Jesus Christ, created everything we know. And then, to make it clear, John restates the truth by writing the same statement, but in the negative. But in the negative. So God created everything through him is a positive statement. Nothing that was created, nothing was created except through him is a negative statement. And this writing style helps to close the loopholes. Everything, everything is in the hands of God. He knows all. There is nothing in our world or universe that is not in the hands of God. There is nothing in this universe that God is not aware of. 
So that includes the details of each of our lives. Jesus gave life to everything that was created. So up to this point, John has been speaking about God, Jesus Christ, and his perfect creation. Now at, this, at the end of verse 4, mankind is noted. Mankind, or everyone, is now a part of the conversation of John. Mankind is the only created being included in the creation. And the Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges states, Life was given to all organic creatures, but light was given to mankind alone. Revelation was given to mankind free from all ignorance and stain. The light has been given to everyone, freely given to be freely accepted. And suddenly, in verse 5, we are dealing with things that are unholy, impure. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We can visualize a striking contrast in this verse. White versus black. Freedom versus stress. Relief and heaviness. Good versus evil. Light versus darkness. So what is darkness? And I checked again, and Gill's exposition of the entire Bible said of darkness. It is meant... By the darkness of nature, the darkness of sin, of ignorance and unbelief in which all men by nature are, who are, in, who are in the dark about God and are ignorant of God and the perfections of his nature, and in the darkness about sin and the evil there is in it that comes by it and what will be their state and portion in another world. They do not know where they are, what they are, nor where they are going. And to me, that's pretty scary stuff. Yet, this is what darkness does to the minds of men and women and children in our world who do not have the Logos, Jesus Christ, in their understanding and in their hearts. But John immediately speaks of a way of hope. There is hope. With God, there is always hope. And during Bible class, it was awesome to watch these grade three, four, and five students as their eyes lit up, as they realized who the word was and what the word was, who the light was. And they were able to now read those truths, understand them, and know that God is omniscient and omnipresent. And that they, along with us, are sons of God, sons of light. And that the darkness can never extinguish that light was so rewarding for them to understand. As many of you do, I love having a fire in our backyard, fire pit. And as a wife of a rhymer, I need to clarify, I like my fires in the fire pit. Nowhere else. So, sometimes those flames get so hot that you have to back up your chairs to stay away from the heat. The light shows us the things that were previously unseen. And this is how I picture the light in the darkness. The flames of the truth are so hot that the darkness must retreat, even if the flame is small. The darkness must move away from where it was comfortable. And the darkness can no longer hide what it had under its veil. And the Merriam-Webster definition for extinguish is to cause the end or death of, to reduce to silence, or 
ineffectiveness. So while teaching the kids, sometimes the hard realities of life cannot be held from them. When children realize that the world is not the way it should be, it is heartbreaking for them. When adults realize that the world is not the way it should be, it is also heartbreaking for us. But this verse, although it's speaking about the ignorance and unbelief in the dark nature of sin, it is also a verse filled with hope. Although the darkness is trying to reduce or to silence the truth about God, it can never, never extinguish it. And although the darkness or the evil in our world would love to cause the end or the death of the work of God in our world, it can never, never extinguish it. And we know that when the light shines in the darkness, the light will always be effective. On Friday, my grade 8 science class was learning about the laws of reflection in the unit of optics. So the laws of reflection... I don't know if you guys feel like you're in in school yet. (laughs) The laws of reflection state that if the surface that a ray of light hits is very smooth, so if this surface is very smooth, um, then the angle of the reflection of light that hits the surface and the angle which the ray bounces, so this angle here and this angle here, if, if, they, if it's a smooth surface, then both of those angles will be identical. They'll be exactly the same. The angles will be true, even a perfect reflection. Now, if we take this law of light and we apply it metaphorically to our lives, it can be a very useful te- tool to teach the truth of God. If that smooth surface is like our lives, lived as a smooth mirror of Jesus Christ, Our lives can effectively reflect the light of Jesus through us back to mankind. And in the clear style that John the Apostle wrote this portion of scripture makes it an excellent way to study and learn and educate our children. John goes back to the very beginning before time is put in motion for humankind and writes down clearly and concisely who God is, who... um, his wisdom and understanding of creating our world, who Jesus is through him, and then our own creation and our fallen world. In just a few sentences, John sets the narrative of our world. But, does this truth of Jesus actually make a difference? Do we see a difference in our world? Because we can teach all we want to, but until we can apply it to our lives and it actually changes something, does it matter? Well, in South Africa this summer, we spent lots of time in Christian schools in Johannesburg area in Cape Town. And South Africa is a very interesting country. Years ago, the British colonized the tip of Africa and sent missionaries into this country specifically. And of course, you know, mistakes are made because humans live there. But the values that were brought to South Africa from the missionaries can still be seen today in their educational system their health system, even their infrastructure, and in the government. Many years later, it is still the most educated democratic country of all of Africa, and they are trying to get it right. Robert Woodbury, a research sociologist, has spent the last 14 years of his life studying what affects the health of nations 
the effect that religion has had on culture and countries, especially the Protestant religions and democracies. He spent many years traveling to remote areas of the world and digging up old documents and data. He went and found maps that had been stained and yellowed, hadn't been looked at for a long time. And he wanted to look at the relationship of religion and its effect on people. And what Woodbury has discovered is actually beginning to change the focus of sociology in the last two years. What really makes a culture change from underdeveloped to democratic is starting to be questioned. And because his findings were so surprising, he had to be very thorough in his research because no one was going to believe him. But now it has actually begun to be a fascinating new area of study. His findings were published in 2012 in the American Political Science Review titled The Missionary Roots of Liberal Democracy. And what he found is that God is the light in the darkness. Um, Andrea Dilley writes of Woodbury. In essence, Woodbury was digging into one of the great enigmas of modern history. Why do some nations develop stable, representative democracies in which citizens enjoy the rights to vote, speak, and assemble freely, while the neighboring countries suffer authoritarian rulers and internal conflict? Public health and economic growth can also differ dramatically from one country to another, side by side, even among countries that share similar geography, cultural background, and natural resources. What they found was areas where Protestant missionaries, and it was Protestant, it was not any other religion, it was evangelical Protestant, when they had significantly when they had a significant presence in the past, are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and a more robust membership in non-governmental associations. These Protestant missionaries were not funded by a government. Those ones were ineffective. And they were given freedom from their church congregation to do the God's will, not the church's man-made mandate. She goes on and says, If all souls are equal before God, everyone would need access to the Bible on their, in their own language, and they would also need to know how to read. And that sounds really basic, but if you look worldwide at poverty, literacy is the main thing that helps you rise out of poverty. Unless you have a broad-based literacy, you can't have democratic movements. And as Woodbury observes, although the Chinese invented printing 800 years before the Europeans did, in China the technology was used for the elites, only the high class. Then Protestant missionaries arrived in the 19th century and began printing tens of thousands of religious texts, making those available to the masses. And they started teaching women and other marginalized groups how to read. Not until then did Asian authorities start printing other documents more widely. Yet so far over a dozen and so far over a dozen studies have confirmed Woodbury's findings, and the growing body of research is beginning to change the way scholars, aid workers, and economists think about democracy and development in just the last two years. And the church has something to learn, too. For Western Christians, there's something exciting about research that cuts against the common story 
and transforms an often ugly character, like the missionary, into a whimsical, unwitting person who we all love to love. And Woodbury would say that it's a reminder that God's greater purposes work out in the lives of the devoted and not um, the perfect but the imperfect people. Other studies are showing the same thing. Cardis research data has also shown that Protestant school graduates, compared to public school graduates, graduates, financially give more to churches, religious organizations, and total charity giving. The time commitments from these graduates, also they volunteer more in the church ministries, on relief trips, mission trips, and other voluntary efforts are equal to that of public school graduates. And they are also more grateful for their income and possessions. They have more children, marry younger, and divorce less, less often. So this research is showing that their view of the world as seen through the eyes of what matters to God. All these reasons are why I am so passionate about teaching at Lakeside Christian School. We're able to pray with our students, and we could do that any time. I prayed with my, my class Friday afternoon because there was an issue, and we just stopped everything, and we prayed for each other. We bring God into our textbooks and call him what he is, Lord of all. And as a staff, we pray for each situation, family and student, and we pray for each other. And isn't that what God's called us to do? To give him the proper place in every day of our lives and teach that to our children every day of theirs? We are trying to fan their flames so that each child knows deep down that God is who he says he is. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, and that through their faith in God, darkness shall never extinguish the light in the communities God has placed them in. So we're going to just take a quick look at a few examples of what light can do to shatter darkness. Here is a picture that Robert Woodbury discovered in his research. It shows the evangelical converts her 10,000 people in 1920 in China. So the darker the area, the more converts there are. This yellow map shows the GDP per capita in 2000, which means um, the economic stability of people. 80 years later, even though the religion has been outlawed, the values and truths of God has made a tangible difference in the country of China. Philip Jenkins in his book, The Next Christendom, also says, in Africa in 1900, there were 10 million Christians, and that was 10% of the world's total. In 2000, there were 360 million Christians, and that was the largest change in human history. In 100 years, we went from 10 million to 360, and that was because of missionaries that we sent over from us to them. 2014, it's half a billion, and the forecast is in 2050, there'll be 1 billion Christians, and that'll be one-third of the world's total. So in 150 years, Africa will go from 10% to 50% of the world's total Christians. And the other countries that they, are, that they are forecasting will also have high numbers of Christians are the United States, Canada, Brazil, China, and the Philippines. 
But the ones on the lowest end are Britain, France, and Germany, and a few other developing worlds. Um, They will not follow unless there's a change in their hearts. So we're going to take a look at a few people in our past that you may not have heard about that have made a difference. So here is Eliza Bridgman. She was sent to China. She actually was sent to Singapore, but they moved her to China because um, they, I'm not sure why they, they didn't necessarily like her there, but God had a plan. And in 1864, she began a school for girls that were caught in uh, prostitution and forced labor and, or were starving. And it became China's first university. In Botswana, James Mackenzie in 1858 was a British missionary that, that partnered with a local chief to help protect land, which has kept Botswana a country. If it wasn't for what he um, encouraged, Botswana probably would have been surrounded and engulfed by the countries around, around it. Many educational institutions recognize him as a light in their history. In India, Ida Sophia Scudder, um, she made a difference in Asia. So in 1918, she started one of Asia's teaching hospitals, the Christian Medical College and Hospital, and it's still called the Christian Medical College and Hospital. And she made a huge difference in that, in that country. So there's a story that goes like this. A man was coming out of the church one day. And the preacher was standing at the door, as he always did, to shake hands. And he grabbed the gentleman by the hand and pulled him aside. The pastor said to him, you need to join the army of the Lord. The gentleman replied, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. The pastor questioned him, how come I don't see you if you're in the army of the Lord, sir, except at Christmas and Easter? And the man whispered back, I'm in the secret service. So, my question to us this morning is, Canada, Clarion Mennonite Church, what are we going to do in 2016 so that darkness never extinguishes the light in our community? How do we apply the truth of light to our lives today? We need to live every day with God. We need to pray. Thank him. We need to praise him petition him, and we need to love him. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to do and love and speak what is right. We need to make our decisions through the eyes of Jesus. What would he have me do? And we need to learn about the truths of God, and we need to teach them to our children. Then we can be a light in our community, family, and be in God's will. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the fact that you are never changing, and you are always here, and we can always depend on you. We just pray that as we go forth into this year, that something for you will be able to be written on this last slide, that in 2016, we collectively did your will, and we thank you that you are are here for us and we can depend on on you.